This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, Victoria's competing with Queensland now in Australia to be our Florida. It is shutting shit down. The second wave of COVID-19 is coming back around if you're in the United States. It's just keep on keeping on. It's just one entire tsunami of this thing hitting your country. So I hope you're all staying safe and your family is staying safe and you're practicing all the right precautions and taking care of each other. But here in Sydney, things are starting to open up cautiously, cautiously. People are teetering and fearing that situation in Victoria is going to cross the border and come into Sydney. So what do you need to do? You need to get some shit catered. You need to get some shit catered by bellacatering.com.au. The family team over there are just incredible. And why cook for your own family when they can do it? Thanks to Bella Catering. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. by the way, says 90% of the news coverage of the president is negative. Not no, my no, no, words, no. Harvard's words. No, that's words. not what Harvard said. Harvard said 90% of the coverage is negative. They didn't say why. The why is his mouth and his actions. If he didn't lie, if he didn't take things out of context, lie. if he didn't demonize people for being different, if he didn't make it okay to be bigoted, then he, he would lie. not get the same kind of criticism. He doesn't lie. Look at the this. press you lies. You don't look at Fox News and call it state TV, and people aren't going to call you out for being unfair to a he media organization. He doesn't lie. Guess who lies? The press lies. And you don't, don't take think it from this me. president has take ever it. lied? Take it from Jim Comey, who literally called out in New York. You don't think this president has lied to the American people? No, I don't think the president has lied. He has never lied to the American people. No, I don't Kayleigh think Mack the president has lied. Kayleigh McEnany, your credibility will be shot with my CNN audience if you don't back off that statement. I think CNN has lied to the American people. I think MSNBC has lied to the American people. I think the fake news has lied to the American people. Has the president lied to the American people? Chris, I'm going to ask you this one more time. Kayleigh McEnany, do you believe this president has ever lied to the American people? No, I don't believe the president has lied. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today is staff writer at Screen Queens, a writer all across the, the freelance pages online, but it's just someone uh, that I've admired uh, online and film Twitter, and I think that a lot of people assume that in the doom-scrolling hellhole of Twitter in kind of the middle of 2020, uh, that it's just impossible to find anything or anyone that is sane. And uh, fortunately, the list of people that I curate and follow does feature those people. Maybe they're borderline insane, but most of them are really good. Um, and this is someone who I've interacted with. I've seen her taste. She's a great giver of tweets. And then just by almost pure coincidence, as we were lining it up, she appears on another show in this very feed on One Heat Minute Productions, Increment Vice. And embodied a character straight out of Gordita Beach. Uh, <laughs> and it was just a hilarious and fun time. But I'm going to drag her back to reality, not too far later in reality, actually, um, set in 1972. But I'm going to have a conversation with her uh, along the lines of, you know, she's she's been in the, the, the stone and noir, um, and now I'm dragging her, f- kicking and screaming into New Hollywood. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Brianna Ziegler to All the President's Minutes. Brianna, thanks so much for doing the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So we've just talked about you being you being familiar with this movie. This is a movie you can sort of put on and dip in and out of. What 
I, I, I can I can go back through and talk about your tremendous taste. Um, and I know that right now in 2020, you found um, a great deal of pleasure in uh, the oh, that terrific um, a terrific show you wrote about for Brightwall Dark Room, which is I think <laughs> you should leave. Um, finding mm-hmm. more comfort in absurdity rather than like uh, real to life fiction. But can you tell me a little bit about like what your relationship is with all the president's men or New Hollywood? Because I know that it's definitely been sprinkled through your Twitter, which is why I was keen to talk to you on this show. Um, I don't have much of a relationship with this movie. If I'm being honest, I saw it for the first time. I think like maybe, I think it was last year. I was still living with my parents and I think we had just watched the post. Um, and then my dad was like, oh, like, would you want to watch all the president's men? And I was like, sure. And it was one of those, like, like, admittedly, I'm a little, I'm slow to often watch, like, older movies. Although, I think all the president's men is 70s or 60s? Yeah, 70. Which one is it? 75 is when it was. Okay. 75 was when it was kind of made, released, mm-hmm. 76. Okay, well then that that doesn't count. That's not old to me. I think I was more, I think I was more hesitant to watch it because it just seemed so like, I guess like stiff. Like it just seemed like oh, like you know, like I, I got the gist of it. It didn't seem, I guess, like the kind of movie I would typically be drawn to. It wasn't, you know, it doesn't sort of line up with my typical taste. But like I'm willing to try new things. And again, we just watched the post, which obviously has like quite a similar thread between the two movies. Um, So my dad wanted to watch it. So I watched it with him and I was like very surprised at how like into it I was, but I wasn't super like in love with it, but I, I really like respected it. And it, and especially after watching the post, I really, I think that kind of gave me more of an appreciation for it because I didn't really like the post. I felt the post was like, Blah. It was such a like blah, like middle of the road movie, and I felt like this. All the President's Men was much more, I don't know, like nuanced and engaging, and and just a better movie. <laughs> like I don't know, it's it's it's, it's hard to remember because it's been a while since that first watch, but I just remember really coming out of it. Like that wasn't a movie I would typically really love or want to watch, but like I have great admiration for it, especially in comparison to the post. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, I mean, the toughest thing, the toughest thing for the post is the weight of expectation, right? So like, obviously we can't throw ourselves back to the seventies, but like, you imagine it's got Robert Redford. He's kind of new to producing. You've got Alan J. Pakula, who's pretty red hot. Clue, Parallax. Right. Rolls straight into all the presidents, man. It's got mm-hmm. Gordon Willis. is the cinematographer for the Godfather movies. It does have Redford himself. He's the biggest star of the 70s. Essentially, you've got Hoffman. The other, one of the other biggest stars of that whole decade. Yeah. Um, it's just mm-hmm. loaded. And, and, and then Goldman, who's coming off of Butch Cast and Sundance Kid. So you've got this tremendous weight of expectation and then the, and needing to deliver this movie with everyone knowing every single thing about it. It's like 
you know everything. It's been in news. It's been on the like every single night. The trials have been on. Yeah, it's it's got all this expectation. So then when you flip it to the post, and this is like that whole like oh, 2020 is hindsight. You go, well, this has Spielberg, and it's got Meryl Streep, and it's got Tom Hanks, and it's got a well known story, and they're going to intersect with the same Washington Post newsroom. Mm-hmm. And so if if those things don't like if it doesn't like knock your socks off, it almost immediately is a failure because you're like, <laughs> there is so mm-hmm. many goddamn talented people um, that, yeah. are, that are here. And I think it's like, I, I have enjoyed, I, I can watch the post and be, and, and some parts of it, I really thoroughly enjoy it in, in comparison. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you just go compare and contrast, like which one do you like more? Like, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's an unfair, it's an unfair contest. It's like, no, yeah. this is something really special in a time where there were a lot of unbelievably game changing, you know, uh, radically different and, uh, and sort of influential movies made. It's, it's a pretty crazy time. And yeah, when you compare the two, it's kind of like, wow, this is, it couldn't be more different. And it, and like, wasn't it made only like. I remember it wasn't when I just watched it, but it was like, I think when I had first watched it like a year ago that I, I looked up when the movie was made and then when the Watergate scandal happened and it was like shortly after, I couldn't believe how quickly this movie was made, like in relation to when the Watergate scandal happened. Yeah, was it like only like a year or two? Yeah, it's pretty, or crazy. Less? pretty crazy. The timeline is the end of the events of this movie, uh, all the president's men line up to 1972. And mm-hmm. so 72 Nixon resigns. Uh, oh, okay. About, about uh, I was, uh, sorry, 70, 74 Nixon resigns rather. 74 Nixon ah. resigns about end of 74. These guys have, are publishing the book because th- the book, the book really covers all the way up to the sort of beginnings of the trials. Not when, mm-hmm. not when Nixon actually leaves. Um, mm-hmm. And then by 74, they're in production. And by all accounts also, there's sort of yeah. like, there's some really great pieces, including a great piece that David Fear, who's one of the editors of Rolling Stone, told me about that Rolling Stone covered was Robert Redford himself at the time was meeting with Woodward and Bernstein and like convincing them to do the book and convincing them to do the book in the style that they did it. This sort of like objective third person view of those two guys. So it's a really weird thing. So he's talking to them about, I want the rights when you guys make the book and the book should be about you guys. And then they do it. They have the rights. They're making it in 1975. So like a year after and then early 76 it's out. So really it is a weird, it's like an, it's, it's one of those insanely weird timelines of a contemporary thing that has happened. And it really has only happened in a couple of other ways. Like, you know, it happened, usually happens with bullshit lifetime movies to be brutally honest, like that quick turnaround (laughs) where there's like no, but like where they turn really, you know, uh, crisp contemporary stories in and they turn them in like with a script that's half assed and a bunch of like mm-hmm. B actors and they released it. Yeah. Right. Cool. But it kind mm-hmm. of took that speed and ethos and made it happen like really great. And, and, you know, the only other comparisons really are like, or the best examples in my mind are like, say like a United 93 by Paul Greengrass around nine 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Paul Greengrass did it again with the, the, the Captain Phillips um, uh, biography with oh. Tom Hanks. And then the social network is the other big one where like they, all of the, the, the Facebook, uh, the sort of 
lore of the origins of Facebook and the and the legend, so to speak, you know, the flawed and fucked up legend of Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> sort of was like immediately happening and happened and that movie's production was on the heels of that story so fresh oh, while that wow. thing was there. So that was like two thousand and ten and Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. So so this movie has like I and I and and I don't mind ever talking about it in this show is like I don't actually understand like I can't fathom it like the entanglement of the actual thing that was happening with the people that were producing this movie and then the way that it all comes together and comes out it, all of the signs point to bad like this movie is gonna suck it is not gonna resonate <laughs> it, it's gonna be a colossal failure for everyone involved but it literally does the complete opposite and it, it is able to not only like crushes it is Oscar nominated. People love it. It actually continues to hold up and people keep talking about it, which is just insane. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was crazy to watch it, you know, right after the post and feel how well it holds up. And I'm like the post, like, does anyone even think about it? Like that movie came out, what? Like, two years ago and like I, I have immediately like forgotten about it if only just in relation to my first watch of all the president's men where like again like it's not something I would immediately gravitate to but it was very clear to me how you know again just how well it held up and how you know obviously people I mean you have a podcast dedicated solely <laughs> to this movie like clearly it's you know resonating up until this day where it's like the post who cares no offense to the post but like it's just hard to describe just how blah it was it's, 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 <laughs> the one thing the one like fantasy thing i have brown it's kind of like impossible to think about is with the post coming out the one big thing was like there is like a stupid like and now we can look at it you know in 2020 as like a casting rumor of um, Faye Dunaway, uh, was, a, a, apparently cast as Kay Graham. And there was originally a moment in the script or a moment in the development where they thought that was going to, she wasn't going to feature heavily, but she was definitely going to form a part of the story. And I think as they yeah. continued to whittle down these guys story and like focus just exclusively on them and the way they're interacting, it sort of made more and more sense as the story was developing, like, we're just going to have to crowbar Kay Graham into this if we do it, because these guys aren't going to know Kay Graham at the beginning. Like she might have an awareness of this story breaking, but really the big, the big parts of this story are all happening later. Like that, like, like they, they're happening essentially at the end of the movie. So it's like the Kay Graham's involvement is less like in this story necessarily. Cause they're not arguing over it in court. They're just like thinking they're out there on a limb and there's no story. So the only thing that I wish is like, you go, oh, if there was any way you could crowbar in, I would love to see a, a Faye Dunaway of this era come in and play that character just even for the shortest amount of time, because it would be, yeah. you know, it would give you that perspective of if she was thinking anything unique at the time about how this story worked. But I think that part mm -hmm. of its appeal and why we keep talking about it is like the focus, like it's really laser focused on these two guys. Like, doing their thing, interacting with all of these people over and over again and sort of getting down to the gritty morality of it all. Yeah, for sure. And 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 Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman are just great. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. 
<laughs> That's obvious. Yeah. Really? Like, again, I don't watch like, I don't really consider seventies like old. Like when I say I don't watch a ton of old movies, I think, I think like forties or fifties, like I have trouble getting back that far, but like, I, I haven't seen a lot of Robert Redford movies. I think All the President's Men is like the only movie I've seen with him, which is very embarrassing, I know. It's but crazy. like, I'm always, I'm always, whenever I want to watch a movie, I always end up going for like some stupid shit, like another <laughs> Seth Rogen comedy I've seen 50 <laughs> times. Because I'm like, ah, I want to feel good tonight. I want to know I'm going to feel good. <laughs> but um, I, Dustin Hoffman is just great. In, in, I've seen I've seen him in a bunch of uh, I feel like I've seen him in I watched Tootsie recently, which was really good. Tootsie's great. I feel like I saw him in something else during quarantine, and I was like, ah, such a good actor. Huge blind spots, but I, and I agree. I don't think of old movies as the seventies either. I'm like I'm I'm way for, way further back, and I agree with you. It's like uh, you know you kind of get into the fifties and the like in in the last the last death um, of the Hayes Code, like just as things are about to break back open and there's some there's some terrific movies that sort of bridge the 50s, early 60s and then like blow out when New Hollywood starts. Like I'm, I kind of like those. But yeah, it, it, I'm trying to think of like when I go back to really old stuff and it's got to be like Keaton and Chaplin are probably the most, you know, mm. the, the ones that I'll, the, that I'll hit up first. And, you know, that's kind of their thirties um, and, and, yeah. and those sorts of ones. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of extent of it. But I think you, if you, if you haven't got a, um, if you haven't filled that Robert Redford blind spot in your life, there are plenty of delightful and fun movies um, that you, you need. It's not just all seriousness and stuffy news. Yeah, I so know. You could, you could, I know. You could, you could try. You could try. <laughs> Look, I, I know I gotta, nothing, but there's nothing more that I hate. Brutally honest is you should have seen X uh, doing what we do, because if you have assignments that don't take you there, sometimes it's hard to get back to, or if it's, you know, more in the horror genre or something like that, it's like, I'm going to, you're not going to find too many horror movies that star Robert Redford. If that's your beat, you know, like, and you're it's writing about true. it, you're not going to get down that path. I haven't even written. Oh no, I haven't even watched many horror movies recently. I've been like branching out during lockdown. I've been, uh, I've been widening my palate, <laughs> well, but I miss. I haven't been. Because I haven't the been horror really... is every day. Whole... <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Maybe that was my subconscious <laughs> steering the ship for me. Do, do I want to feel deep anxiety for like an hour and a half, or do I want to reprieve from the deep anxiety I feel twenty four hours a day? Like it's, it's... honestly. Probably. I didn't even think about that, but I bet that's what the little monkey in my brain is doing. <laughs> He's pulling the strings. He's pulling me away from the pain. I'm imagining the little monkey in Toy Story 3 with the little symbols. That's what's happening oh, yeah. in your brain. Checking oh, yeah. Out, that's what I'm thinking of. Check, checking out the cameras. Just making, okay, we're going to we're gonna stick with the comedy. We're going to stick with this is the, you know, uh, you can watch an apocalyptic comedy, but it can be this is the end. You know, that, that, can, oh. be, that can be the one you can Fantastic. check out. Um, let's get on to this scene. This scene with Kate Eddy, it's a couple of minute long scene. The preceding minute is kind of the beginning of this transaction. These guys have gone up. They think they're 
You know, they've been anointed. They go to the office of Ben Bradley, played by Jason Robards. They deliver their story. They feel like they've got momentum. And Bradley, in, in his wisdom, and Robards in his just, like, inimitable awesomeness, is just like, where's the goddamn story? Like, where is this thing? Stop floundering. Give me more, like... It has to have legs, otherwise I'm taking you off it. Essentially is the implication of the, like, where's the goddamn story scene. And so you get into this scene where they go down the elevator just in the run-up to the scene, and they're at their wit's end. They're in the depths of despair, and then they go, wait, K-Eddie, played by the awesome Lindsay Krauss, is she used to go with a guy for the committee to re-elect the president, which has the greatest acronym of all time, Creep. And um, she they kind of pose this scenario to her. Can you go and see your ex-fiance in, at the time, 1972, a a career woman who's just had an ex-fiance, all of the societal and social pressures of that challenge. And these guys, especially more Bernstein having zero sensitivity to the fact going like, yeah, just go see him. Like, what's the problem? Yeah. We get it. We arrive to this moment, this great little scene. Um, and this, really gripping and just like awesome performance by Lindsay Krauss. And she's in the movie for like a minute and a half and she just completely crushes Mm -hmm. it. That's like this really, you know, sympathetic performance where you just watch her kind of crumble and go, it's, uh, it's taken every piece of my soul to get the hell out of this rat bag relationship. And now you guys are asking for a favor and I know that it's important to you but it's going to require me to have to interact with this person who now I'm finally free of. And so I, I love this scene. I love her emotion in this scene. And I love this mm-hmm. moment where they're like, you actually get to see the interaction and you see Woodward, you know, absorb and, and understand where she is emotionally and they sort of walk away. And there's a, a beautiful little cyclical payoff here. And it's, it just shows, I just, I just love, I love this scene. I love the beginning of their negotiations. And this is really the beginning of both of these guys just interacting with witnesses and people and, and sort of learning how to extract information from people who don't want to talk. And the first test uh, is, and, and the first moral sort of um, question starts right in their office where they're asking someone who they work with to do something they don't want to do. That is mm-hmm. really for the good of their story. Yeah. Yeah. That, that scene, I feel like, when I watched it, what really struck me about it was just like being put into the situation where, and I feel like I've been in a situation like this before where someone comes to you with something they want you to do that like to them seems really simple and straightforward, just like a series of like ABC and then they'll get what they want. But like the thing that they're asking you to do just requires. So like, there's a lot of nuance that they're not understanding and like, like when I watched that scene, I really like, like beyond just like, you know, not wanting to see your ex again or being put into that very specific uncomfortable situation. But I really felt for her in that moment of just like when the person just doesn't understand that there's more emotional nuance to something that they're asking you than they realize. And it's like, like, I know, I know I've had friends ask me like, oh, can you do this? And then they like, don't realize like all these emotional hoops I have to jump through that make it uncomfortable or unwanted or like weird. Yes. And it was like such a disconnect and it was just such, it's just such a specific like thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. 
like that's probably part of the reason why like that specific moment like even though I was very much in and out of the movie like why I fully like locked onto that scene it was very like empathetic I was very empathetic to that scenario I feel like yeah it doesn't even have to be about relationships I mean I think you know people who work um people who work in in this arena like our arena you know freelance Mm -hmm. writing about entertainment or art it's like people have contacts and like there's sometimes you know um you've got good friends who are friends with filmmakers and stuff like that. And you're like, Hey, have you got that person's email address? Or have you got this in like some people look yeah. like, ask that question and you're like, yeah, I do like, and yes, they are my friend or yes, I could make that call, but Oh my God. You're, yeah. You're putting me in that position <laughs> to ask a question <laughs> for this small thing. And it's like, how many more of these small favors am I going to be able to ask this person and still maintain their trust or God? Yeah. And it could, you know, it could totally be for, for little things like that. And uh, it's, um, it's, you know, when your friends can help you with that or you, you know, whatever the pursuit is, um, is, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. That's it. it, You, you can't ask, but I I feel even that's just like a little small thing. It's like, Oh, can you, do you think you can help me with that? And it's like, I mean, is this the last time? <laughs> is this the last time? Are you going to, are you going to do yeah. a good job of this? I, I, I always feel and that. And it also makes you wonder, like, like, is it a breach of, um, I don't know what the word is, but like, there have been so many times where I know people who have contacts for places they want to write for. And like, I want to ask them, and it's like, we're on good terms, but I, I also am like self-aware where I don't want to put them in that position because like I've been put in that position before and it is so weird. It's so much more complicated than just giving them an email address. And I don't even think of it in terms of like, oh, are they going to keep coming to me again and again? But I more just think of it as like, uh, I don't know. Like, like there shouldn't be any reason though that I, that we can't help each other. You know, there also shouldn't be a reason why we can't help each other and why these contacts shouldn't be like easily accessible. <laughs> like I've, I've had people, I've had a few people come to me, um, to get a contact for someone. And I mean, I never see the issue with it. And I mean, it's only been for like one place, I think. Um, and I'm always like, yeah, like, here you go. Maybe some other places, but I can't remember specifically, but I'm always like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like how else? Oh, Are look, they gonna? I, I think, but I, I don't. I, 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 I think I think a contact is different. Like I, I have a you know, and and there's you know one of my dearest friends, Garth Franklin, who's the editor for the really awesome Australian movie website Dark Horizons. Like Garth has like a black book of contacts and people that he's known throughout his life and um at, you know throughout his career. You know, like now twenty odd years, um he's he's met a whole stack of people and has a whole bunch of people's personal emails and knows a whole bunch of publicists and stuff like that. And it's like you know, the, the other thing that you don't ever want to do is like, you know, he might have a contact and you're like, Oh, I don't want to ask him all the time. Like every five seconds yeah. for like, you know, mm-hmm. his, his black book, like, Oh, can you get, do you have this person's email? Probably has them, but it's like, you, you sometimes go, oh, I'll wait until there's something really important or there's someone I know yeah. that you might know that like is good there. But like, you know, I, I personally, when it comes to just like a contact of how to get in touch with someone, in our industry, like a peer or an editor or something like that. It's like, yeah, yeah. hell for leather, man. If you know them, 
Like yeah. the pitch has got to be good <laughs> or the pitch has to fit the brief or whatever. Like I, I have no control over that. Like giving someone an email is different, but um, yeah, someone's like personal email or if they're like an, a director or an actor or something and then yeah. you know they've got it. It's, it's just weird. It's like giving, it's like, Hey, can I have your friend's number? It's like, no, like I'm not giving you yeah. your number. That's weird. Like I'll ask them if I it can. It is weird. I'll ask them if I can, but, but yeah, one, it's just one of those things. Right. So for folks who are listening along to this conversation, we, Brianna and I are going to go back and listen to this wonderful scene with Katie. You're not going to be able to, uh, if there's any minute, this now, the 64th minute of Alan J. Pakula's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men, is a minute that you need to see. Because the beginning of the scene, you can hear the dialogue, you can hear it like the mumblecore Dustin Hoffman, Carl Bernstein sort of blathering, like, why didn't he push harder? <clears throat> Excuse me. Why didn't he push harder? Why didn't, why did, why didn't Woodward like let him sort of go for, go for, uh, go for the kill, so to speak in this interaction to try and force her to get or, or push her to get this information. But in the end, Lindsay Krause's Katie does something for that compassion that she probably didn't want to do. And so if you want to see a, a great exchange and learn about filmmaking and see how the power play and, and how the fallout of this interaction happens, you, you really must watch it. So pause the show when we go off and watch it. Watch this minute, one one hour, three minutes on your dial. Uh, Brianna and I are going to watch it now and listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it. I better just get off. I think she was going to say something. Firstly, I love old timey photocopiers, Brown. I just love old timey oh, photocopiers, like that, like yeah. literally take a photo of the document <laughs> and spit out like this photo. Um, it looks like something that's from Doctor Strange Love, like some kind of contraption, uh, you know, that has nuclear codes or something like that in there. But uh, that. Mm -hmm. The fact that Kay walks in the office, there's barely anyone in the office. She's got her coffee. She's there. There's barely eye contact, but when there is eye contact, it's like serious. And just the way that it unfolds, the, the entire pacing of like an envelope being chucked on the desk, assuming that it's just like rubbish mail that someone has sent him and then realizing that it's exactly what they have been looking for. And she made that sacrifice for them. It's just, it's kind of heartbreaking because it's like, she is doing the thing that she didn't want to do for these guys. Yeah. A great little scene. Yeah, it's, it's very like, uh, it is a very like conflicting 
scene. And and there are scenes like that in other movies that I, I've watched recently or just like in general, just where like a character is asked to do something and they're like, no. And then they have, they've, they've gone through a lot to end up doing it anyway. And you're like, ah, like, especially in this scene where you, you, you know, like she didn't have to do it. He said no. And like, you see how upset she is. It's not, you know, like hysteric or anything, but, but it's very, a very quiet and, strained uh, and also very like visceral emotional response so you know it's something she really really doesn't want to do and thankfully um Woodward is like no 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 like he gets it um and is sympathetic towards her and she does it anyway that's it's like that's the thing. damn that's the thing that the, the almost heartbreaking thing is that after everything you're like yeah man come on Come on, Bernstein, like, just give her a break. And yeah. the fact that kindness that Woodward does to be empathetic to like, no, nah, I can see you're uncomfortable. Don't do it. And in, in sort of like a true, true, awesome lady fashion, she's, she does it anyway. You're like, oh, like, mm-hmm. like it, it is, it is a huge break in the story. But I, I love that on this like whole movie, which is just this series of moral battlegrounds, both from the people who are like confessing something or admitting to something or being a source on something to like these guys themselves. Um, it's just one of these like great battles that happens out in this movie where you're just watching the, the inner turmoil of a person having to sacrifice something or having to, like you said, I think you put it really beautifully, which is just like, there's so much more emotional nuance in that relationship that's happening that these guys aren't considering, or at least Bernstein is and and Woodward may not completely understand it, uh, the, the depths of it, but mo- he, he sees it. Like he can see it written on her face that there's something, mm-hmm. there's so much more going on beneath the surface than what we're actually seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a great scene. And I, and I feel like, um, I feel like, I feel like whenever I've been in a situation where someone's, asking me something that requires a lot more than what the person realizes. It's always like a guy, like I don't, I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to uphold the gender binary. Like, but, but I feel like some, sometimes guys, I, 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 I think can be I, a little I, rigid. I, I think, I think, I think you can totally uphold a gender binary because, you know, guys are mostly, <laughs> high functioning apes until they're about 25. So like, you know, I mean, and, and uh, speaking from my own personal self, like the, the, the level of emotional nuance or the understanding on like that, you know, it's, it's not always there. Um, and you know, you only have to like cast a, a stone in our little corner of the industry. And there is fucking weirdness going on. Like, with guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I'm I'm not going to be here and be a bastion of defending uh, guys <laughs> who don't have uh, emotional awareness or what is it like emotional intelligence to understand? Yeah, that yeah, awareness, in, intelligence. Yeah, to, to put to put someone under pressure that would be stupid. But yeah, it's 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 you know, this is a woman who understands that there's like way more in that, and also it's a woman who's like just recently engaged. Like even even if we weren't talking about like emotional. Um, emotional intelligence from like relating from a man to a woman. It's like, there's so much more, so much different to like a really meaningful long-term relationship breakdown and all of the mess of that. Then there is say, for example, with Bernstein, who's like, if you're like, Hey Carl, can you call your ex? Um, We need this detail. 
Yeah, they may have just had like a one night stand or like a couple of dates. And so him calling an ex is like nothing. It's like calling, you know, there's no, there's no like enduring emotional connection. There's no huge fallout. There's no chaos. There's no like, you know, anything. You're just like, yes, yeah. sure. I'll call that person. Like, because the relationship wasn't meaningful, but in this moment, they, he's kind of learning a lesson or sort of, um, but Woodward's definitely appreciating where she's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Can I like segue really quick to something I just, please, please do. <laughs> that kind of relates to what we're talking about. I just remembered and I hope, I hope my ex-boyfriend is not listening to this podcast. He probably won't, but I just remembered like two months ago, I, I had been, I had been dating this guy for a few years and, uh, it was great. We, it, it didn't work out. We ended things very, very amiably. And, um, he continued to let me use his family's like streaming services and I had been using them up until like, uh, again, like a few months ago. And I went to watch, what was it? Hulu, I think. And I realized that they had changed the password and I was like, fuck and like we hadn't talked in a while <laughs> so I was like I have I was like okay I just have to message him and like it seemed straightforward to me at first I was like okay I gotta ask him like what's the new password but then I was like god we're in the middle of a pandemic I haven't spoken to him in like a few months like we are going to have to catch up <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then I texted my friend and I was like I was like, do you have Hulu? And he was like, no. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And then he was like, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. We are in the middle of a pandemic. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> this just made me think of, of that, how I had to do that. Like, but it was, it wasn't like I was being interrogated by someone. I was more just interrogating myself. You, you were both Lindsey Krauss and Robert Redford in the same set. Yes. Yes. And and then and then another voice came over the top and it was Urena Bernstein being like, What's the problem? Just ask him. Like, you know, just ask him. Just ask him. That so what, what we've learned is after all the emotional nuance, you just need to embrace Urena Bernstein and ask that person that question because ultimately you either have Hulu or you don't have Hulu. <laughs> and you know what? I asked him for it and I he would not give me the password. Whoa. He was like, I I don't think I can give it to you. And we still had to catch up. And it was fine. It was totally fine. He's great. If he's listening, I love you, man. You're a great guy. But it was like, ah, we still have to catch up. And I did not God get what I wanted. It. God damn it. <laughs> Go on the record. Anyway. Go on the record. <laughs> give me that fucking Hulu password. I had to oh. make my own Hulu account. Oh, wow. Brutal. Brutal. Oh, brutal. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> that was one of my favorite digressions, I think, on this whole show. That's that's excellent. That's, that's, that's thank you. That's really, you. really good. Um, <laughs> right now, and and this goes this goes to the pandemic. Right now, we're in the midst of, and especially your country is in the midst of, you know, whether it's political or social or civil rights upheaval, like the, the craziness. When you look back when you were looking back at even sort of like engage re-engaging with this movie and re-familiarizing yourself with it after having, you know, sort of seen it some time ago now and just getting ready for the show. What's the, like, what's in your mind? Like one of those, you know, cause the people I'm always interested in asking is like, 
we consume news every single day, like from, you know, our curated line of outlets that, you know, burst into our Twitter or get retweeted into our timelines. And then we follow down the rabbit holes of those different outlets and different writers that we respect and different topics that we want to engage with. And I look at this story and I look at this time and it just seems so now increasingly like a fantasy world, like in some of the guests have even said it, have like pointed that out. Like it feels like total fiction. Whereas like, you know, at the beginning of this project, I'm like, Oh, it's, I'm praising its authenticity because people have this agreed statement of like, this is a fact. This is what morality is. This is what, you know, we can, we can agree on something baseline. And now especially with things like even forgetting civil rights, but just even like the pandemic, like, like a medical professional comes on to a screen or comes onto a thing and says, wear a mask and you see the evidence that it's a smart thing to do. And people are like, then want to interrogate that medical professionals credentials because they just don't want to believe it. Like what, what the hell is that? to you, Brianna, because I just wonder, like, I'm, I'm struggling with it every day of like, what is the, what is, what are people's blind spots with that? And why are they so averse to it? I don't know. It's hard for me to answer. I don't want to claim to have some kind of, you know, overarching grasp on the culture or politics in this country, because I'm definitely, I try to be as informed as I can, but I, don't have my finger on the pulse of things as well as like some of my friends who are really, really, really politically aware and are very in tune with the climate and, you know, everything is going on, but I do my best, you know, to stay up to date, even though it can feel overwhelming. Um, but I, I, I saw like a tweet today that like, Get what it was exactly something that Rand Paul apparently said I didn't I you know I don't have a source on it or anything but apparently he said something along the lines of like like just because the experts are saying something like doesn't mean we should listen to them and it was so like oh like what the fuck how did it just really broke my brain <laughs> like And I want it to be like, how did we get here? But it's like, oh, no, I understand. I mean, the reason I I, I hate to even like, I don't know, engage in like light Trump banter because I just feel like it's so much more serious than we often allow ourselves to like interrogate. Like when I I saw my parents yesterday, my, my dad really likes to make fun of Trump in that very specific way that boomers like to interrogate Trump with like jokes and he called him like an orange something some sort of like you know and my my parents are boomers but they're they're very um you know they're left they have good they have good morals and they I think they raised me pretty well but they you know they still have that grasp on things where I feel like they're not taking it seriously enough and they're um you know and their view of of Trump and what he's doing and and what needs to be done to get him out but anyway um just like it's obvious why people want to say no to this because you know the the, I don't even like to call him the president but because Trump has made it okay to question 
people like that, these, these people in positions of power that are supposed to be trustworthy and, you know, for our benefit, but because of his, I don't know what's going on in there, but because of whatever, you know, <laughs> his deal is, he's like, no, no, no. Eh, you, you don't have to listen to him. Whereas, and, and, and part of me is like, you know, what would have been different under Obama? Cause obviously now that Obama's, you know, gone, the idealism of Obama is like, some people still hold on to it, but I feel like among most people I know, that's kind of like shattered. We know what he did in Yemen and, you know, the, 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 the rose colored glasses of the Obama presidency are like definitely stripped for a lot of people. But it's like, would this have happened under Obama? Would this have happened under Bush? I have no idea about Bush because I was a child. <laughs> and the, the only way I knew about anything going on with Bush was when I popped in to watch The Daily Show with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, Trump has just fostered the, this culture where, um, what's the word? Uh, I want a better word than doubting. But second guessing um, people that know better than us and and second guessing science i mean he's fostered a culture where, where it's okay and that's what has led to people wearing their masks under their chins or under their noses or not wearing masks at all yeah, it's and it's not really like it's not um people want to say oh americans are stupid and it's partially because the government has failed us and we have someone in power saying it's okay to not listen to scientists. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, I, I, I don't. And I, I think one of the things I can say on this show is like a reassurance is like stupidity in politics is not just an American thing, despite the great press oh, and yeah. publicity that they get around the world. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I would very, I and I'd very candidly say that like the Australian prime minister who on a, um, on, from his political views, like we couldn't be, he, he and I couldn't be more different. But as far as a yeah. response, I just always want to interrogate like the the system of like at the time and what I, I think is a salve in this movie and what I think is a salve in every interaction in this movie is that despite people's inherent political beliefs or social beliefs of like whether you're a progressive person or you're a conservative person, in this movie it's like people doing illegal shit and breaking the law deserves to be, they, they deserve to be like held accountable for that. And so yeah. in so many other realms, whether it's like, you know, um, and, and maybe it's things like the financial crisis where there were bailouts for people who were actually complicit in doing bad shit. Um, maybe it's like those sorts of things where people, you know, were, where you interrogated and you're like, well, what was the best approach? What's the, what was the more radical approach? And that goes to, again, the great 2020 hindsight of looking back and going, okay, this is what Obama did that was great and this is some of the other blights on his career and you have to take the good with the bad and, like, reflect on what the whole thing would be. Um, but it's – I just really find it fascinating that right now things can't – like, the, people can't agree to facts when there is a whole international community out there that, you know, like, uh, e even the difference between Australia and New Zealand, like, we've got um, – uh, 
like in New Zealand now, like people are going to live comedy shows, you know, they've got like no cases of COVID-19, even though they're a really oh, small yeah. country. They're like, people are going to stadiums and watching huge games. And like, even in Australia, we've got a state like our Southern state, Victoria, who have always like, I think purported and wish they were like the New York. Like they've always said that like Sydney's like the LA and they're like the New York, but really they're fucking Florida. Um, because they, <laughs> those lunatics are all like, like going out and doing all this blatant crap and infecting people. And now the whole state's in, lockdown again because they've had new spikes in COVID-19 cases and you're like and you're like you're breaking it for us like what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing you idiots yeah it's like um but you can see that I think one thing that I can actually credit our prime minister for and this is a good thing is like they've deferred a lot of that wisdom to our medical officers and like the CDs, you know, the, you know, the world health organization and going through and like trying to follow and comply and do things and, and, and best guesses and best things to try and keep their economy open, but, and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's hard. It's a quagmire to get into, but I'm just always wondering like, and especially when you've got this facts and you've got internationally agreed facts and approaches and how things should happen despite size and things. I just wonder, I wonder how people get to that. I'm just always baffled as like, how do you get to that? How, how do we, how did, how did it get so far away from just the facts of fairness and morality of like someone's doing illegal or dumb shit and we're like, yeah, but you know, maybe who, who's telling us this? And it's like, that's a good intent. Yeah. It's a, it's a good impulse to interrogate things and not to blindly believe it. But when like uh, 99 doctors are out there going, do this. And one's like, eh, I haven't seen evidence that's really compelled me. Everyone's like, let's listen to that guy. The one guy. Yeah. I don't well, understand it. You know, again, it's because, you know, the person in power is telling us that we should give credence to that one doubter. It's like the one person's doubting. So maybe we should listen to that guy, <laughs> even though he's outnumbered by a much many more other people. Like that's, you know, it's a simple I mean, obviously it's more complicated than that, but in my, in my mind, it's, it's pretty obvious how we got here <laughs> and probably obvious to other people too, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing. And I think one thing that you said that I, I really agree with, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's literally about everyone. It's, you know, there's a comfort sometimes, um, you know, there's a great Dave Chappelle joke where he's talking about, you know, um, He's talking about seeing people lining up to vote for Trump and he's like, yeah, he's going to, you know, he's going to fix America for me. These poor disenfranchised, you know, white people in, from, you know, the middle America who, who formed his base were sort of, you know, lost and their lives weren't getting any better after the Obama years and they, you know, were looking for something different and they weren't interested in voting for Hillary. And, mm -hmm. and you see, and he was like, like, yeah, he's, he's going to do this for us. You know, he's going to help us. And then Dave Chappelle goes, no, he goes, I'm rich. He's doing this for me. <laughs> like yeah. And, and, and I just think that like that whole thing of like, if you are someone who can be comfortable during times where, you know, backward progressive political leaders are in power and your life isn't affected, we also have to like take a quick moment to interrogate that for ourselves and go, there are some people whose lives are drastically changing and it is all for the worst because all of the things that this person in power is doing is to 
you know, cut away their funding and cut away the things that are happening in their lives and cut away these free things. And if you, if you're fortunate enough to be well off enough to like be surviving and going, okay, you actually have to interrogate that as well. Like, and go, Oh, well, is, is this person doing stuff that is actually helping me? In which case, what can I do to then like make sure that, you know, those, those people who are less fortunate than me that are, are getting the profile that they need and getting the support that they need so they can actually tackle this shit. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dialogue that we're going through. And I love, I love, like you said, people were engaging with George Bush through John Stewart and that's, a big <laughs> I was definitely as, as like a like a how old was I you know like I feel like I watched it not that young but pretty young it was like you know when I think back to being in elementary school like such a big presence to me was I feel like Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert on the tv you know in the living room all the time I wasn't always watching of course I didn't always understand what was going on but it was all he was, they were always there, you know? Yes. And, and it's interesting. The, you know, the, I didn't even ask my parents what they think about John Stewart having a new movie. And if, if they're interested in it and I pray to God that they don't, but I know they will because <laughs> they long for, they long for the John Stewart days. They, they wish he was back. They think he, and you know, I think, I think most people agree for the time period that they were in John Stewart and Stephen Colbert were like, great, you know, but it's like bringing him back right now. Like obviously with, with what's been said about his new movie, clearly he's just like out of his depth. Yeah. I'm um, the, I, I, it's funny with John Stewart. He's always like a welcome guy. You see in a YouTube clip, going on the daily show and saying really, ins- sorry on the, uh, the Colbert show, his new show, the Letterman slot, um, where he sort of pops up on there and he says like really insightful shit for like five minutes and then he's out. Um, but yeah. there's a really great interview like a- around the release of his latest movie with, with the Joe Rogan podcast where he's talking about like the cyclical, cyclical nature of the daily show and how, you know, he, he became disenfranchised with like just the format, like every day having to make jokes and poke fun at this stuff. And it's like, sometimes Mm. you want to interrogate it and sometimes you want to say things that are meaningful and sometimes you want to do it. And it's just like, nothing's changing. (laughs) Like nothing materially is changing. So it, it becomes in itself like this sort of water torture of, you know, it's, it's just, decades into it you don't realize how much it's affecting you and so yeah i think it's a really interesting one with him like he he really was a voice of like a very sort of particular generation of like news and satire and how important it was to interrogate a lot of the bs that was happening on both sides of uh, of the of the media aisles um way more in the fox news realm like interrogating just the absolute lies and nonsense and blatant bias um but it's it's yeah it's just really interesting because we still crave that now but yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think he's a savior. I don't no. think any individual is yeah. a savior. No, it is interesting when you say like we crave that. We do like want that incisive, like that incisive brand of um, political satire again. And I, I mean, we're not getting it anymore with like the current Daily Show and with uh, fucking Stephen Colbert on the late show or whatever he's just a clown now he's just a dancing clown 
Like he's useless at this point. Um, and we don't have anyone like John Stewart anymore or, or what Stephen Colbert used to be, but it's like, do we even need it? Like what could they even do? Things have reached the point of absurd where here we are, we're circling back. So I think you should leave. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, everything is so absurd. There's only one escape and that's in more absurdity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We've arrived back. No, and but I think you know the one thing also, there is a comfort in a format of satire and new satire, like especially that early the heyday of the the John Stewart Daily Show, and even I think uh, I think um, um, oh my god, I've just lost his name, not Stephen Colbert, Uh-oh. um, uh, John Oliver, John Oliver is uh, abs- oh yeah, fucking John Oliver, John- oh he's. John he's Oliver, still okay. he's still, he's still quite good. The, the challenge, like the thing about the John Oliver format, which I love. And I think like whether it's cutting through or not, or whether there's, you know, at this point, it's just getting drowned in a, a whole realm of other content and noise is John Oliver and his team of writers do such an amazing job of at least like laying down the basis of facts. So they, yes, they poke fun around a topic and they usually deep dive, you know, 15, 20 minute, like mini essays on these like little topics. But what's a relief of that is like after all the 24 hour doom scrolling news cycle bullshit, like we get, we get in 10 minutes, all of the facts. And then we get all of the color. You get all of the, like how it's being reported at different news, news outlets. And then yeah. they poke the fun around it. And I think that that format is addictive because you're like, I don't want to go and like have to have poured through 24 hours of bullshit news cycle and people like cutting this story 75 ways. Just tell me what the facts of the story are. I don't want these nonsense people who don't have any right having an opinion about it, telling me anything about it. Tell me what the news is. <laughs> And then, and then we'll come like, you know, then we can seek out the opinions, but I want to see the news. And what's funny is like satire is one of the only places that gives you that. And it's like, it's strange because like, like to set up the setup for their jokes is the facts. And so people crave that. And I personally crave yeah. it too, because it's like, it's easy to consume because you're like, oh, well, here's the facts and this is what it is. And, and yeah, it's just one of those challenges where you. You're like, oh, just take me to the absurd because I don't. The, the other alternative is not, is not any fun. No, yeah, and I mean, I liked John Oliver for a time. I used to keep up with him. I, I kind of liked how he would his stories that he would make. The main crux of the show would be things that I wasn't totally aware about, and yes. so he would make people aware of of these kind of little known issues and then i don't know somewhere in all the chaos it just got kind of lost in the shuffle i feel like i don't even know if my parents really keep up with him anymore so i don't know yeah i mean i think everyone's too um everyone's too embroiled in this current time to be wanting to see about little known topics that they don't want to know about i think the the occupying news stories of the day and civil unrest and COVID 19 are like doesn't give you much yeah. space to breathe, but he's, if he's still there doing good stuff, you know, I imagine, um, he'll stick around, but yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's definitely the salve. If you're looking for a John Stewart, it's the John Oliver times. It's like going to another John, mm-hmm. but yeah, the Colbert stuff is just like, it's just a night show. It's just an evening show. There's no like Ugh, political it's incisiveness. It's so it depressing. It, it is what it is. He like sold out. He like, fully sold out. I like remember when he, he he was leaving the Colbert report to do 
late show and my parents i feel like were very hopeful that he was gonna he was gonna bring his in his political incisiveness over to to late night he was gonna he was gonna do really good shit there and then no not at all he's just a clown he's gone we've all given up on him (laughs) (laughs) and it's been sad to watch because you know there was a time where he was like you know like um John Stewart, he was really like a heavy, he was such a heavy hitter. Yes. And to see where he's gone is like kind of, you know, just kind of depressing, but it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, you can't always be the most incisive voice. Like time passes, yeah. you, like, time passes you by. And like the guy who was skewering like Republican bias by playing that Republican character like, I don't know if we're ready for that now. Like, no, I, <laughs> because what is the Republican <laughs> character like now? It's not even. Uh, a, it's not even a joke anymore. It's like, it's just bad. Like, yeah, like people who are actually would claim to be, you know, conservatives and Republicans, whether it's from a fiscal standpoint or a or or a moral standpoint or whatever. Trump is not that. Like, he just used. He, he he's just using that. Like he, he's going, he's using their party like a condom and he will discard it when his mess is done. And hopefully it's only yeah. a four year mess. Like, like it, not, none of it is uh, penetrating. He, he doesn't care about Republican ethics or conservatism. He just cares about power. And it's like, oh, this is the one I can manipulate to the best of my ability. And here we are. I feel like my, again, I'm not the most, you know, politically minded person but in my mind people that are claiming that he is like I think like the fascist claims I think that if if he's if anything he does like dabbles in fascism it's not because he's thinking about fascism it's just because that's where his big dumb brain is like like he has no political affiliation like I don't think he has any ideology I don't think there's anything. I think the monkey in his brain is like just <laughs> like, okay, I've got a monkey in my brain, but when it claps, there's like stuff, <laughs> there's stuff going on there. There's stuff coming out of the clap, but, 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 but his is just nothing. Like there's no, he does not care about anything. It's very clear. He doesn't care about anything except money. And, and I don't even know if he cares about power really. Like, I think he's just an idiot. And I think, Status, like status. again, he just has status. Yeah, I don't even think power really. I feel like just status, and it's just like if he ever leans any political way, it's just like a symptom of his idiocy and just <laughs> wanting money. Like I don't think he's a Republican, and I also don't think he's a fascist. Do I think sometimes he toes the line of fascism? Fascism, yes, obviously, but it's just symptomatic of his stupidity. <laughs> And on that beautiful turn of phrase, <laughs> symptomatic of his stupidity, I want to say, Brianna Ziegler, thank you so much for indulging me and, and dragging uh, the monkey in your brain to talk about politics, even though it's not your traditional mode, and to talk about, like, emotional nuance and and, and these interactions. And uh, and that Hulu story um, is really is really the moral quandary of our time. So I want to say thank you so much for uh, for having a chat with me on this show, and thanks for being a part of now your second One Heat Minute production. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much. You too. It was great to be here. 
Huge thank you again to my great guest, Brianna Ziegler. You can find her on Twitter because it bounces off to all of her other places uh, at, at Brianna, B-R-I-A-N-N-A, Ziggs, Brianna Ziggs. Uh, you can find her all over the place. Screen Queens, she's done, at Burst, uh, done a stint at Birth Movies, Death, Slash Film, There's Been Pieces, Blooded Disgusting, Bright Wall, Dark Room, and a piece we talked about, Little White Lies, uh, and, of course, Film School Rejects. Um, thank you, Brianna, so much for being a lot of fun. And uh, comparing the quandaries of Watergate to a Hulu password, I just, I, it still tickles me. I listened to this episode again, and I just loved it. So thank you so much for being a part of all the One Heat Minute productions you've been a part of, both All the President's Minutes and Increment Vice. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, if if you can help us out, we would love that. Uh, you can click on the description to donate either periodically or um, uh, just as a one-off uh, below. Any uh, couple of bucks helps. Uh, the entire team here at One Heat Minute Productions are going to divvy that up. We have lots of productions in the future. We like to spend a lot of time and we're looking forward to some amazing productions that happen at the culmination of both All the President's Minutes and in- Incorrect Vice. And so if you can donate, that'd be great. If not, share. We'd love you to share the show just to folk who you think you're going to dig it. Um, we appreciate you. Um, we appreciate your time and uh, you stay safe out there and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Very soon, in fact. A lot of episodes this week. A lot of great guests. So much good stuff. For free. <laughs>